This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Necessary Roughness, brought to you by Southfield Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram. With 11-year NFL veteran, Big Ten Offensive Lineman of the Year, and captain of the National Championship Michigan Wolverines, John Jansen. And 10-year NFL veteran, two-time Pro Bowl offensive tackle, and Super Bowl champion with the Green Bay Packers, T.J. Lang. Now, here's John Jansen and T.J. Lang. Well, we finally have some real football to talk about, if you call preseason football real football. Uh, We saw the Lions take on the Atlanta Falcons in Ford Field last Friday night. They drop one twenty-seven to twenty-three. A lot to talk about, but uh, first, I want to I want to hear from my the party animal partner that I have. Uh, we were going to do this one earlier in the week. However, you were out having yourself a, a grand old time. You're a retired football player, as you should. But damn, dude, you all right this morning? On a Tuesday night. Too. On a Tuesday <laughs> night. Yes. Well, it's not a school night yet. Tuesday night. You know what, man? It was. Uh... Concert, you know, last night, uh, Allison Chains, Bush, Breaking Benjamin. I said, hey, it's a Tuesday night. I don't really have to work tomorrow morning. Expect the podcast, but no, I was excited. You ever watch? So there's like the last couple months, maybe, um, actually, maybe the past year, there's been like huge buzz, and there's been a couple documentaries made about 99 Woodstock. Have you seen any of them? No. There's one on Netflix that just came out. There's one on HBO that came out, gosh, maybe a year ago. And uh, there was a lot of negative stuff that happened. Anytime you have 300,000 freaking people, like you're going to have a couple incidents. But some of the bands that played there and like the atmosphere, I mean, in 99, I was only 12. So uh, there's no way I could go back in time and go relive that. But right. like, I had like watching these, I had like this giant rush of FOMO. I'm like, God, if I go back one, you know, in time and go to like one musical event, it would be Woodstock 99 because just some of the epic bands that played there, Bush being one of them. Um, so when I found out, gosh, I don't know, a couple months ago, they were coming to town with Allison Chains. I was like, yeah, like, well, I got to go. Yeah. I got to see what this is about. You know, and I know obviously it's 25 years later out of their prime, but, um, for me, it was kind of, it was kind of like, all right, I get to check that box off. You know, I've been watching these damn documentaries and how awesome these concerts used to be and finally get to go see them live. Um, it was awesome, man. Brought back some, uh, childhood memories, you know, like I said, I mean, I was, young kid when you know the kind of grunge movement was coming up with mm-hmm. you know all those bands and anytime i get to go back and uh get a chance to see them live it was uh it was great it was a really good show i didn't stay much for allison chains i mean anytime there's an old band but they have like new singers or yeah. new guitar I'm it's not the like, same yeah, it's not the same and obviously yeah. gosh i think their lead singer died in like 
2001 or something. So <laughs> he hasn't been around a while. But they've cycled time, through like, a few many. Yeah, but it's like ah, it's just not the same, right? But Bush and Breaking Benjamin were freaking awesome, man. And uh, you know, I I I I had to get up early this morning. Though. I had to get up at 8:30, come to work. So I was a little bit sluggish. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're glad you showed up. <laughs> I know you don't get to sleep in too often. No, no, it was a uh, it was a great show, man. So I guess the question then is, uh, did you stay up last night? Was the second showing of Hard Knocks here in Detroit? Did you stay up when you got home to watch any of of Hard Knocks? I tried to. I got home probably uh, maybe midnight ish and turned it on as I got in bed and made it through about. Gosh, I don't know, maybe 25, 30 minutes. I think yeah. I fell asleep right when they were kind of getting into game time preseason action because before that they were talking a lot about uh, Malcolm Rodriguez and gosh, that had to have been an uncomfortable situation, don't you think? Like when they were in the when they were in the meeting room and Kelvin Shepard's like praising the rookie and yeah. he's doing everything right. I mean, that's got to piss a couple of those veterans off, I'm sure. That's the whole point, right? And and yeah, I mean, you talk when there's a when there's a uh, position like that with with that much competition going on. I mean, I'm, I loved it, you know, being on the outside looking in. But my first thought was like, ooh, that's gonna piss some of these veterans off. <laughs> like anytime yeah. you praise a rookie like that, it's like this dude <laughs> you know what i mean it's like he, he just got it but the kid i mean it, it praised the kid to to you know what he's done to start camp and obviously throughout the the preseason and everything he's been very impressive but that was the one thing i was like oh boy that's it. the veterans don't like to hear the rookies getting praised especially well especially when kelvin shepherd goes down the list of you know hey he's not a first round pick he's not a second round pick he's not a third round pick not a fourth round pick and then he yeah. asked him you know, what round were you picked in he said six yeah. <laughs> when you are being beat out by a six-round pick and you've been a veteran for five, six, seven years, like that is that is an uncomfortable conversation, oh, one that sure. has to be had. And, and we've all been in the room when some of those conversations has happened. But, you know, and, and some people will say, well, you know, do you think, as they call him, Rodrigo, uh, Malcolm Rodriguez, did that make Rodrigo uncomfortable? And I'm sure on some level it did, but – you and I both know that players aren't really going to be mad at another player. They may be mad at the coach. They may be mad at themselves. They may be mad at, at another teammate that set them up for failure on a certain play, but they're not necessarily going to be mad at the player who is actually going out there because it's it's all on film. Right? You get a chance to see Malcolm Rodriguez in practice doing the right things, in the game doing the right things, and we talked about it. The linebacker position is one where there's going to be a great battle. Alex Anzalone is the placeholder, um, as I like to call him right now, because he's got the most experience. They brought in Jared Davis. I actually thought Jared Davis played okay. Um, but Malcolm Rodriguez is a selection by this, by this front office. They're going to give him every chance. But you're also not going to see, as Calvin Shepard, he doesn't want to play a rookie for yeah. a number of reasons. Yeah, and I think he said, you know, I'm trying. Guys, I'm trying not to put him with the first team. Yeah. But you're not giving me any choice. Like, you're not making my <laughs> and, job very easy. And not necessarily does that mean the other guys are stinking it up and not doing their job. It might just mean, hey, Malcolm is just, he's way more developed than we thought he was going to be as a rookie. And it's going to be hard to keep this kid off the field because he's making plays. It doesn't mean everybody else sucks and everybody else isn't doing their job, but maybe he's doing it with a little bit more 
consistency, right? And that's what coaches like. I mean, you you can't go out there and flash like Jared Davis. I mean, you mentioned you thought he played okay. I, I thought he played okay. He had that stupid penalty on the uh, that took the interception off the board. Which but do you think it was a penalty? I, I, well, look at. I mean, it's too close, right? It's that's good. I'm walking around the sideline. Obviously, I'm on the sideline for the games. It's hard to see. They didn't really show a replay, so I'm kind of asking the guys in the booth, like, hey, did you see a replay? Was it bad? What happened? Because live, it was like, okay, it looked like he hit him. It looked like it was late. It didn't look egregious, but when you think about... It was kind of pushed into him as right, well. And yeah, I'm, I guess I'm I mean, coming up with all the excuses of why I, it shouldn't have been a penalty. Yeah, I mean, was it a soft call? I think so, right? Yeah. I think any time in the preseason, you always see referees and the umpires and officials overemphasize everything. Oh, the Holy point of emphasis. I hate it. Whatever rule changes they make, hey, we're looking at, you know, legal contact down the field in the secondary, right? They're just going to throw a ton of flags during the preseason just to try to get that testing period out of the way. And then once regular season, okay, that didn't work out, you know, let's get rid of it. But uh, and they try to emphasize it. But look, here's the bottom line. I think if you're Jared Davis and you're competing for a spot on this team, um, not, a, not only a spot on this team, but you're competing your for career. an NFL roster spot, maybe for the rest of your career. Um, I just don't think you can afford to have even borderline plays like that, you know? And that was kind of the disappointing thing when I see the interception, I see the takeaway, you know, the energy, everybody celebrating, and then, you know, the penalty on Jared Davis. It was just like, gosh, it's just, you can't do it. You know what I mean? And I'm with you. I thought it was a soft call, but at the same time, you know what I'm trying to say. When you're a veteran trying to compete for your life, basically, um, you know, it's just, it's a little, it's a little, it's a little over the top, I think. But, um, no, I think with Malcolm Rodriguez, look, the other players, you know, you don't get mad at, you know, your teammates for doing things the right way. But when you're sitting in that position where you are getting praised, it is a little uncomfortable because, <laughs> let's be honest, I mean, it's like the kid in school that's like, hey, Jimmy does everything right, and Jimmy did this, and Jimmy did that. And it's like, well, Jimmy's a brown noser all right like yeah. jimmy's up the teacher's ass now that's not necessarily the truth but that's kind of how it feels when you're in that position so i know a lot of guys the pros you know the, the all pro players the, the hall of fame type guys i played with didn't need the praise they didn't want it because they knew it was kind of uncomfortable and they were like i mean i heard julius pepper say one time you know coach was praising him about a playmate and he's like don't praise me, man. Like, that's what I'm supposed to do, you know? Yeah. And so so it can be uncomfortable when you're getting praised like that, especially if you're a rookie. But, hey, man, I think uh, I don't think any anybody expected, coaches included, front office, whatever, expected uh, Malcolm Rodriguez to be making such an impact at such an early stage in his career because when he got drafted, what did everybody talk about? He always one of the best special teams players out there. Right. right? He contributed on special teams, which we saw earlier. Yeah, you saw that on the first kickoff. You know, he gets down there, gets the first pop. But now you're talking about kid might not be a special team player. You might be a third, a three down player on defense. And I don't think anybody saw uh, how quick he was going to make this ascension. But uh, credit to the kid, man. I mean, he's he's impressed. He's impressing everybody down there in Allen Park. And we we've talked about this a little bit before. Every time the draft comes up, we talk about our draft experiences. But the other thing from Hard Knocks last night was Amon Ross St. Brown going through the list of 16 other receivers that were drafted in front of him, knowing you know their names, the schools they're from, and it being a motivating factor. We saw last year that he is going to be a productive receiver, more receptions than any other rookie, more yardage than any other rookie in Lions history. Um, how much did that motivate you 
um, when you were drafted in regards to these were the offensive linemen that were taken in front of me. These, you know, what, were you upset that you weren't taken higher? Um, not really. I mean, coming from Eastern Michigan, you know, I knew that uh, there were going to be obviously other linemen from bigger schools that had played better competition that were, you know, going to get looked over me because just they had, you know, more film and more proven track record at that time. Um, there were a couple guys I remember, you know, it was weird. I didn't go to the combine. I didn't get invited. Uh, that kind of pissed me off, you know, yeah. because I felt like if I go to the combine, I'm I'm going to take off because I was always a good athlete. I mean, I was right around. They're going to finally see me. I was five flat forty. I was, you know, four four shuttle. I mean, I would everything I did at my pro day. I think would have been top five at the combine for offensive linemen. So I was pissed I didn't get that opportunity because I'm like, God, I could have just shown every freaking team yeah. like how you know my strengths and how athletic I am, but. Um, you know, that pissed me off first, and then I had to do a bunch of pre-draft visits, right, because I didn't go to the Combine, so there was like 10 or 12 teams that flew me in, wanted to do physicals and sit on the board and talk with the coaches and sit in the meetings and all that shit. Um, and, you know, when you leave, your agent kind of tells you, hey, you know, I think they're looking at you maybe, you know, third, fourth round or so, or, you know, I remember leaving Chicago, and uh, it was fun. I think I left, gosh, I think I left Baltimore, and... My agent was like, yeah, they really like you. I think they're looking at maybe third, fourth round. And I go to Chicago, and as I'm leaving Chicago, they hand me a hat. And they're like, hey, after the draft, we're going to be calling you. Maybe if you're interested, you know, coming as an undrafted free agent guy. And I'm like, what the f***? Like, <laughs> I'm like, hold on. I'm hearing, like, maybe possibly high third round uh, undraft. So I didn't really know. But yeah. I, didn't, I didn't feel slighted at all um, when I went in the fourth round because I knew that I knew I wasn't a day one starter. I knew I had a lot of work to do coming from Eastern Michigan. And more than anything, I thought – I hated guys that were like, get drafted in the second and third round, and they're like, I'm going to make every team pay for passing. Oh, you would have hated me. And it's like, well, your own team passed on you twice too. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like they didn't pick you either the first couple times around. And for me, that was just like – I don't know. I, I always felt like it was better just to be grateful and to be like, all right, this team loves me. I've got a chance to come in here and really, you know, do something special rather than, you know, screw this guy. He, he's not better than me. Screw this team for passing on me. Screw that. Like, I, I felt like that negative energy wasn't going to work for me. Now, it's worked for a lot of guys. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned you were probably one of those guys, and I played with one of the most, <laughs> you know, bitter, envious individuals in yeah. all of football, Aaron Rodgers, who still feels slighted that he dropped, a, you know, the 25th pick, whatever it was, back in 05. Um but for guys like that, hey, man, sometimes that motivation works. And for me, I just felt like it's not going to work for me. I don't I, – you know, if I'm a petty individual, if I, I – that doesn't work for my uh, Your motivation for yeah. me. It doesn't work for my personality. So I was more of the, hey, you know, screw it. I went in the fourth round. I, You know, yeah, do I wish I could have gone in the second or third? Hell, yeah, I do. But you know what? I'm in Green Bay. You know, this is where I wanted to be. They love me here, and let's get to work. That was yeah. kind of always my attitude. I was very realistic in where I thought I was going to be drafted, late first, early second. I ended up going 37, and it wasn't necessarily that I was pissed that I wasn't taken in the top 20. I, I belonged there. That's not where I was going to be taken. But Some of the tackles that got taken over Yeah, it was you? the tackles that got taken yeah. over me. Like when, when, you know, growing up here in Detroit, uh, I wanted to play for the Lions, and they took Aaron Gibson, another guy in the Big Ten who was a right tackle, uh, that they valued him more than they valued me. That pissed me off. 
when a when a player was taken from Eastern Michigan, L.J. Shelton, <laughs> LJ Shelton. Um, was taken over me. Like I thought, you know, and but I was also realistic in that he was, was a good player. Uh, there's no question. John Tate was a good player. Uh, Matt Stinchcomb was a good player. Uh, Luke Pettigau was a good player. Like and and so I understood. I understood that they were left tackles too. So while I did use some of that as motivation, and I still obviously know all of those guys, um, you know, to this day, um, it it at some point. For most individuals, it wears off. I'm, I'm curious as to how long it'll, it will last, that motivation for Amon Ra, um, you know, maybe into the second contract, um, as we hope he continues to progress. And, you know, that kind of takes us to what we saw on Friday night. You were there. What was the feeling like at Ford Field? Because watching it on TV, it we all know it was one of three preseason games, the first iteration of this Lions team. We saw the offense go out there for a series. We saw the defense play. But it felt like there was a different energy at Ford Field, just like we 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 talked about last couple of weeks when we were, you know, coming from Ford Field and, and broadcasting from there. There was a different energy at practice. Yeah, there was a different buzz for sure. I think that was one of the first things I said uh during the broadcast. I was it was like, gosh, I mean, this is a preseason game. I can't remember the last time I, I, I felt that much energy at Ford Field for a preseason game. And get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I don't. I didn't look at official. Um, it was like forty-five thousand people there. What, okay, it felt like it. I mean, it didn't feel packed, but right. it didn't feel empty like it normally does, and it definitely wasn't empty. It no. was. It was. Uh, it was a different buzz. It was a different energy, and 
even the players, like sometimes you get in preseason one and it's kind of sloppy and sluggish and, you know, let's just run through the motion type shit, yada, yada, get our 15 plays and get out of here. Um, you know, starting offense comes out and moving the ball, you know, really the only negative play I think they had was, you know, the Jamal Williams drop out in the flat, but then he makes up for it the next play, gets, you know, nine yards on the dive and sets him up back up for a third and short. But that drive was just like, gosh, like for preseason football, man, like that's pretty damn impressive. Look good. I wouldn't say it was surprising because I think when you look at specifically the offense, everybody kind of expected them to come out, uh, you know, on fire because you've got a lot of veteran guys. That offensive line, obviously, Jared Goff, DeAndre Swift. I know Hawk didn't play, but um, – you know, Reynolds, Chark's been a guy who's been around a while. Like, you, you kind of expected them to be a little bit ahead of the of the defense. They definitely showed that. Um, but the buzz was different. And I asked Coach about it after the game and a couple of players after the game, and they were just like, man, like, it was <laughs> for a preseason game. Like, it was, it was impressive, the energy that they brought. And I think, look, you combine that with the fact that, you know, HBO was in town and hard knocks and the optimism buzz around this – uh, this team for the past couple months, I think people were excited to see, uh, get that first impression of what this team's going to look like. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, I'll tell you, man, it, it was that sequence when they go down and score. Um, you know, let's just put these four plays into perspective here. The DeAndre Swift touchdown run, right? Mm-hmm. Made a nice cutback, boom. Obviously, ton of energy, everybody's pumped up, right? Next play, kickoff. Malcolm Rodriguez goes down, lays a lick on the kick return, right? Everybody wanted to see Malcolm Rodriguez, what he was going to do. Bam, first play, lays a lick on the dude, right? Third third play, uh, you know, Atlanta comes out. They run a little, uh, you know, naked boot. Um, you know, Mariota tries to jump back. Who puts a lick on him? Aiden Hutchinson, right? No. Crowd was <laughs> fired up. And then next play after that. You know, Aiden Hutchinson swim move, boom, tackle for the loss in the back. Those four, those four plays in the, that sequence were just like, holy, shit. like this play, like these guys are ready to freaking go, man. <laughs> and the crowd was into it, and they felt that energy because for those four plays, it was like, holy, shit, this looks like a different style of football than we've been used to seeing for a long time. And I thought that was, uh, I thought it was impressive the way they came out to play. That coach had him ready to go. So I want to jump to the end. There's there's a lot more we want to talk about in this game, but they end up losing the game and somewhat lost it in Lions fashion with David Blau fumbling and you know the way that uh, that Atlanta ended up scoring their touchdown. But was it was it a huge downer after the game? Were people leaving the that that were still there come the fourth quarter? Um, did it feel like? Oh, yeah, same old Lions, here we go again. Or was there still optimism, even though they ended up losing the game? No, I think there was a lot of excitement still. Um, I think for most people, your realistic expectations for the preseason is you want to see the starters, the guys that are going to be foundation of your team play well, um, which I thought they got, especially with the offense. Uh, But I think there's also a realistic part of people where, you know, gosh, how do I want to say this? Last two minutes of preseason games, let's be honest, a lot of those guys probably aren't going to be on your team. Majority of those guys, yeah. Right? Like, they're just trying to be honest here. Um, so I think a lot of people are are realistic in expectations to say, you know, hey, like, yeah, we Take lost it for the game. Of course we wanted to win. Of course we want to see these guys win. But same time, you know, 
we were we were impressed with the guys that are going to be here. The, the the solid core of this team. We were we were impressed with the body of work that they were able to put in. So, um, oh gosh, I was listening. I'm not going to I was listening after the game and had the station on, and I won't I won't say who it was, but it was just like, oh SOL, same old lines, blah blah blah, and I'm like. Price. like are you kidding me dude like yeah your third string you know quarterback fumbled and your seventh string corner you know didn't make a play to in the game or whatever it was it's like jesus Christ, come on like let's calm down a little bit but no i thought uh i didn't i didn't get the sense that people were you know sol mentality oh find right. another way to lose because you know well, the next time anybody goes in the stadium, it's going to be regular season. Yeah, next two, be, next yeah. two games are, are on the road. and um, So let's talk about some of the positive. Offense, as you mentioned, and, and everybody's kind of dissected that first drive. Ten plays, 79 yards, touchdown. All right, It was great. Um, defense goes back out there, and, and a part of those four plays, DeAndre Swift scores the touchdown, Malcolm Rodriguez, big, big tackle on, on special teams, two plays by Aiden Hutchinson, but then Atlanta converts on a third down, um, there's, whether you call it guys out of position, over pursuit, over enthusiasm, whatever it is, defense didn't hold, and Atlanta goes down 12 plays, 82 yards, and they tie the game up with a touchdown. What what do you need to see from game one to game two from the defense? I, I think just better discipline, you know? And like you kind of hinted at, it was just, it looked like, it looked like all 11 guys were trying to make the play. You know what I mean? Like, you have to understand, hey, if you're the backside, you know, defensive end or the slot corner and there's play action away from you, like, there's no reason to really sprint all the way down the line because that's not your play to make. You know what I mean? You have seven, eight other guys on that side of the field that that's their play to make. You have to trust your teammates. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what I was seeing was over-pursuit, um, you know, not being disciplined in rush lanes on third downs, whatever it was, allowing those quarterbacks to get out of the pocket. I mean, the quarterbacks ran for, you know, 90 yards between the two of them. Um, it was almost like the nerves were – not even nerves, but like the um, adrenaline was just going so high that it's like, I need to make every single play. You know what I mean? And that – you love that. You love that enthusiasm. You love that approach to the game, but at the same time – there's a fine line. There's a fine balance between being disciplined and being relentless. And I think that they were almost too, uh, too relentless. And you saw them get burned a lot, you know. And how many times are you watching, you know, play action pass? And it's just like there's nobody on the backside to, yeah. you know, even threaten the quarterback to, you know, make him run to get in get in that throwing lane to get uncomfortable because. You know, whether it was a backside DN, backside linebacker, a couple of the backside, you know, pressures they bought, everybody was biting so hard on that run fake that, uh, you know, there was just a little undisciplined in the eyes, I thought. So I'd like to see, uh, and even the last play, you know, when it when, when it was a fourth down, Atlanta goes for it. Um, you know, Aaron Glenn dialed up what would seem like an empty pressure. I think he brought six or seven guys. Um, but you had the, the defensive end that was over the right tackle, for some reason, you know, they had a middle blitz called, and for some reason he's making a spin move into the B-gap, and that allowed Desmond Ritter just to get outside of that pocket just enough to yeah. buy that time to get that ball downfield. Now, I don't know who the player was, but that's where you talk about discipline. If you stay outside and you play contain, 
there's no way Ritter's escaping that pocket. And now the pressure that's coming from the inside is going to force him to make probably a really bad throw. So it's little things like that that uh, I don't know if you really expect young guys to get it, you know, on game one. Um, but that's what you need to see improve. That's what you need to see going into week two. Uh, you need to see them get better at. And uh, I thought they played with, you know, that like I said, the energy, the tenacity. I mean, you could definitely tell the the uh, schematic changes, you know, that they made as far as, you know, going from more of a, you know, eat up double team type defensive line, just play at the line of scrimmage and clog it up there to, you know, nose tackles, just penetrate, get in the backfield, be disruptive. There's a couple times, man, I thought there was a couple nose tackles. That, uh, the one kid saw it off. I think Demetrius Taylor is, I mean, he's in the backfield almost taking the freaking handoff. And you're like, damn, that's the style of football I like to see, getting in the backfield, making plays, rather than just kind of hanging at the line of scrimmage and making tackles for, you know, two, three yards. I want to see guys get in the backfield. I want to see guys be disruptive. And even that play Aiden made, you know, where he puts a swim move on, uh, Jake Matthews gets in the backfield and makes that TFL. I mean, last year, I don't really know if we saw much of that because the philosophy was different. The scheme was different. They wanted those guys kind of playing at the line of scrimmage and read and react rather than just explode, get off the ball, go make a play in the backfield. So um, I was encouraged with, uh, you know, with, with, uh, with the changes that they made defensively because that style of defense as an offensive lineman, it's a lot harder to block. Because those guys are unpredictable, man. Yeah. Especially when you're when you're trying to run zone and you're trying to get the outside. If you let up any sort of penetration in the back, cuts, it cuts everything dead. off. Yeah, yeah, the play's dead. So I thought that was encouraging. So I've I've seen coaches handle this a, a lot of different ways, and I'm not sure really how they're doing it now with only three preseason games. I'm going to leave the offense off of this, but I've gone into games before, especially the first when we had four, where there's no game planning done. You just show up and you do exactly what you were doing at practice. The yeah. plays that were called in practice are the same formations and plays that are going to be called in games. And coaches want to see how you just naturally react and play in that environment. And then game two, now all of a sudden there's, there is a game plan. You're looking at film of Indianapolis and you're looking and you're saying, okay, here is some of the keys for this offensive line. Here's some formations that, that Indianapolis likes. Here's what we're going to see from uh, Matt Ryan. Or whatever it is, you have more going into the second game than you did the first. When you looked at the defensive front, and, and I, I think you touched on this already, but this is a defensive front that I'm not sure right now that they're going to be able to play a base 4-3-4-2 defense and be able to match up. You're going to have to see movement up front. How much will that movement from an Aleem McNeil to be able to cut across the, a, a guard's face or to line up at nose and loop out uh, or a two-eye, how much will that help the production of this defense and be better at stopping the run? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's. I think that's going to allow them to play to their strength, to be honest with you. You look at a lot of these guys and um, what they're good at, uh, you know, Pascal, uh, we haven't seen him yet, but Levi, Aleem, you know, even Michael Brockers. I mean, these are guys that are athletic. These are guys that can move. These aren't, you know, the 320-pound bodies that you see in, you know, Baltimore or Pittsburgh that are just clogging up the line, you know. Those aren't the type of guys that you really want to play that 
that two gap style with. So when you have guys that are athletic that, like you said, can move that three tech, boom, he's a three tech, spikes to the A gap, making a play, right? It throws off the offensive lineman. It's it's much harder to block those style of players. And look, I mean, I, I think is defensive line, you know, a strength of theirs? Is it, you know, one of the best units in the NFL? No. Can they be? Potentially, right? If they yeah. get everybody back healthy, I mean, they could potentially be. Um, but I think, you know, in, in talking to, you know, Aaron Glenn last week before the game, he's like, we were asking about the changes and what. He's like, we want our players to basically, like, play what they're good at, do what they're good at, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what these guys are good at. And with the linebackers, I think it's going to make it a lot, you know, their job a lot easier um, when you're kind of coming up and you're pulling guys off of double teams instead of just waiting for the double team to get to you, I think is is going to help the defensive linemen make plays. Um, but look, I think they've I think they've got some talent. I think they've got potential um, to be a pretty damn good defensive line. But it's uh, it's about it's about consistency. You know, that's what basically that's how it is in every position in the NFL. But um, and it's about winning your one on ones, right? Yeah. Like you mentioned, individual I mean, matchups. Yeah, the preseason. Look, you're not you might get the game plan the day before. You know, like last Thursday, they probably were like, all right, defense. These are the 10 plays we're running offense. These are the 10 plays we're running. And, you know, we're not really, you know, doing it based off of, you know, mismatches and and whatever weaknesses we see on their side of the field. We just want to see you guys go play fast and ultimately win your one-on-ones and do your job. So um, when it comes to a defensive line perspective, I mean, you got to love the preseason because it probably just lets you play fast. You know what I mean? There's not a ton of Exotic looks. There's not a exotic exotic pressures where you're like, oh shit, I'm on the weak side. Do I loop out? Do I loop in? What do I do? There's none of that. It's just line up and go and and beat your you know beat the man in front of you. And I think that's what the coaches love the most about it because you don't really feel like you have to trick anybody. You know what I mean? It's not like oh that was a hell of a play call from Aaron Glenn there. You know that you don't you'll see that in the regular season, but preseason it's like we want to see who our guys are. We want to see who can go out there and beat their one on beat their man uh, consistently. And defensive line wise, look, I think there's there's going to be a lot of competition there throughout the next couple of weeks to see who are going to be those, you know, probably eight nine guys that are going to be, you know, they're going to stick out the next couple of weeks and be guys you can you can count on, you can rely on. So obviously they're going to play Indianapolis on Saturday, um, week one preseason to week two. It's going to be a much better team on both sides of the ball, offensively and defensively. What are you hoping to see from this Lions team uh, on Saturday? that we didn't see um, last Friday? Well, it'll be interesting to see, first off, how much the uh, starters play on on both teams. Normally when you have joint practices like this, the coaches are like, okay, we got plenty of film during the week. We don't need to see, you know, we don't need to see these guys out there. We've seen, you know, 300 reps against the Colts uh, throughout the week. So I I don't really expect to see the starters play a ton. but, you know, you never know. I mean, they could get a quarter. They could get that, but have 10, 15 plays, maybe some, something similar to what we saw last week. I would be surprised just because, like I said, they're going to have a lot of tape and a lot of film to go off of uh, throughout the week of practice. But, um, look, I think the one thing, man, is, like, keep the energy going. You know what I mean? Like, Play fast. Play fast. Go out there, play fast. Play physical. The young guys. You know what I mean? Last week I felt like you – you established something. I felt like you was you started to establish we're a team that's going to play fast. We're going to hit the shit out of you. We're going to be relentless, and we're not going to give up. I feel like that was kind of a base, like, okay, like we expect this every week now because 
you know, it's hard to do it every single week. Uh, it's hard to, especially when you get in the season and now you're playing 17 games, it's hard to match, you know, some of the intensity that you may, maybe had, you know, a couple weeks before in a primetime game. It's hard, but um, when you're a young team and you're a team that's trying to take that next step, like it's a non-negotiable. I think you have to. I think you have to, you have to establish an identity. And I thought that last week was uh, a good step in that direction. Um, but they're not where they need to be yet. But I, you want to see them get better every week. You want to see them continue to improve. And I think that's uh, that's going to be the most important thing for me. I'm expecting to see a lot of the backups, a lot of the position battles, a lot of the linebackers play again, a lot of the you know DBs play again. Um, you know the the backup quarterback position. Uh, Looked excited to see David Blau and and Tim Boyle get probably. Uh, you know, split maybe a half and a half. I thought that position battle was uh, probably, I think David Blau made more plays last week. But yeah. when you talk about that turnover, you talk about late in the game not being able to finish it. I mean, that's kind of, that's obviously a dagger. You can't yeah. turn the ball over, you know. And I thought he outplayed Tim Boyle, but I'm excited to see how both of those guys rebound. I don't think Tim Boyle was necessarily thrilled with his performance. Um, looked like he was scared a little bit to let the ball fly downfield. I mean, he had the one beautiful throw to Devin Fletcher in the corner. In the yeah. corner, but it, the play where it was third and long, they they drew the lineman off sides. He just chucks the ball up to uh, Khalif Raymond. Yeah. It was a beautiful ball, but that was the only time we saw him throw it downfield. I want to see him kind of let loose a little bit more um, because, look, I mean, be honest with you, I wouldn't feel very comfortable with either of those guys playing huh. if Jared Goff went down. I, I think you're going to have to see the next two games, this game specifically, you're going to have to see one of those guys start to separate himself a little bit. And I hope I hope we get some more clarity on that um, because I know, look, and every single freaking team in the NFL will tell you if their quarterback goes down, the season's probably Screwed. done. Yeah. But, you know, the good teams are able to, quarterback misses a game, they're able to not miss a beat. You know, yeah. in Kansas City, Chad Haney comes in, right? Not Don't miss a beat. Boom, go win a playoff game. Um, that's a very uh, important position. I hope we get – a little bit more clarity coming out of this week between those two guys. Well, we'll continue to give you clarity on the lead-up to the Lions season. Uh, as they head to Indianapolis to take on the Colts, they're going to have a couple of days of practice down there. We'll see them on Saturday night, and we'll talk to you in just a few days here. Uh, coming to you from Necessary Ruptus.